Welcome, and this is the Valley View Friends Church Sunday Morning Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and I want to thank you for joining me today. I am so glad that you're listening in. At Valley View Friends Church, we are learning how to live as God's people concerned with reaching and restoring hearts and homes with Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, come look us up at our website at valleyviewfriendschurch.org. Please subscribe to always get the next podcast. There's an old farmer's proverb that goes like this, what comes up in the bucket is usually what's down in the well. Meaning this, you can only draw from what's already in the well. If it's full of fresh water, guess what the bucket will be full of? Fresh water. And if the water in the well has gone bad, well, you won't be able to draw fresh water from it. The bucket will be full of water like like what's in the well. And our lives are a well. And so the question for you today is, what is your well full of? Fresh, life-giving water, or maybe something that's more like stagnant water or used water? Today, I want us to look at a text, a short text from Paul's letter to the Colossians. You can find it in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And in this text, Paul tells Christians to be who you are. And what I mean by that is you are to be who you are in Christ instead of who you once were before Christ. Now, growing up, my parents had some friends, uh, beautiful people uh, who just loved life and loved all plant life and animal life. They just adored living creatures, and they had a four-legged family pet they dearly loved, and that pet's name was Dog. Yeah, The pet's name was Dog. I thought it was a strange name myself, but I had not met Dog, but on one occasional visit when they were at our house, they were telling us about how much they loved Dog and and what Dog was like and some of the things that Dog did. And why did you name him Dog? I asked. And it's because he's bigger than he should be and he's fierce. Oh, okay. And then I sat and listened as they told my family stories about Dog. Dog was master of the house. Dog was the ruler. Dog liked to get his way, they would tell us. And then they told stories about how, like, dog would sit on their shoulders. And they said, you don't tell dog what to do. He does what he wants to do. Dog's a good boy, but he does get into mischief. And they would describe how dog would track them and hunt them. And then they started describing their solution to dogs tracking and hunting of them around the house. They would carry a can of coins and they'd shake it and they'd, whenever he would make an attempt to, to leap at them. And this was a strange story to me. Apparently the coins would startle him and they'd snap his focus and then he'd give up. Well, I was confused. I'd never heard of a dog like this. All the dogs I'd ever known growing up were just happy-go-lucky, big doppy, we love you dogs. Didn't sound like dog was like this. And my friends smiled at my confusion and they filled me in. Dog was the name of their cat. Yes, a cat named Dog. A cat who is fiercer and bigger and fiercer than he should be. Dog was good at being who he was. A cat. And then the story started to make sense. He was in charge. He was the master. He liked to get his way. He would track them and hunt them and spring upon them. And shaking a can of coins would startle him and snap his focus. It made sense then, once we knew who he was. He was good at being a cat. And we are good at being who we are, humans. 
But as humans, we have a problem. Our humanity involves choice, free will. We can be who God made us to be, or we can choose to be something else. And many of us often do. In fact, we are born into a condition, the sin nature, that drags us and drives us into another way. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to call it sin, but usually that's the thing we choose. It usually looks good to us. It seeks to satisfy a need for us, a longing. And so we fill our hearts and our lives with stuff that we think we need, but they make us into something we weren't designed to be. Now, the Apostle Paul is aware of this, and he's aware that there's a great cosmic battle being waged against us, and you and I must choose a side. And you can choose the side of Jesus Christ through the salvation that he purchased for you, or you can choose to be swallowed up by the destructive power of sin. When this happens, when we're swallowed up by sins, we become something else entirely. But Paul is telling you and I to be who we are, who we are to be in Christ. And he tells us that life itself comes from Jesus. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4 closes, and we'll read it here, with this beautiful phrase describing Christ who is your life. And that is a good word to hear. You and I both need to hear that Christ is our life. He needs to be our life. In fact, there is no real life without him. You need to understand that Jesus is the source of your life. So to be the best version of you, you need to be loved by God, which he does love you. You need to be redeemed by Christ, and that's offered freely to you. And we do all this, we remember this by setting our minds on the things above and knowing that who we are in Christ and that Christ is our life that makes all the difference. I want to read the text to you. It comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and it goes like this, beginning in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That's it. That's the text. It's short. But there's a lot packed in there. We're just going to look at a little bit of it today. It is so easy for the Christian, for you and I, to forget who we are and who we are in Christ. We are good. We are too good at remembering our past, who we were. We remember past mistakes. We have that feeling of shame that lingers over us. So how do we be who we are in Christ? How do we really latch onto that and grab a hold of it instead of who we were in the past? I mean, that's the challenge for the Christian. We usually think more of who we once were instead of who we are in Christ. The key resides in keeping our hearts and minds on the things above instead of the things of earth. As I was reading Colossians 3, 1 through 4, I was struck by the repeated call to set my focus for you and me to set our focuses on the things above. Paul is telling the Christian to be who you are in Christ, 
not who you were in your former life and sin. You need to put your mind on things above. You need to put your heart on things above. It's there in verse 1. There in verse 1, it tells us about our hearts. Set your hearts on the things above. And then in verse 2, it tells us about our minds. Set your minds on the things above. All the thought life, all the emotional life, all, all that makes you who you are, set it on things above. But what does it mean? What does it mean to put our, our minds and our hearts on the things above? Well, we're told not to focus on earthly things. So we're to focus on above instead of earth, maybe heaven instead of earth. And how do we set our minds on the things that we can't see? We, we, we know the promise of heaven. We know that it is a place of glory, but there's a lot about heaven we don't know yet. Well, that's where faith comes in. But there's something else going on here. I like what Kent Hughes suggests about this passage. He says that we're not to really keep our focus on heaven, but on the one who goes before us to heaven, the one who goes before us to prepare a place for us in heaven. We are to keep our heart and our mind on the one who resides in heaven, on the throne. We're to keep our heart and mind on Jesus, on Christ. And that fits with this text, which is from front to back, all through about Christ. And then Paul gives us two very specific truths for us to see as we keep our heart and mind on the things above, as we look to Jesus. And first, what he wants us to focus on is who we are in Jesus. That is to say, we are raised, we are hidden, and that we will share in glory. Jesus loves you and affords each of you the opportunity to have your story rewritten in him, if you will allow him, if you will invite him in. If you want to keep your mind and your heart set on the things above, you need to remember the dimensions of who you are in Christ. And this text deals with the dimensions of time. You call them tenses, but I'll stick with dimensions. Past, present, and future. And these dimensions help you keep your mind and heart on the things above. And that first dimension is the past, where Paul writes, you were raised with Christ. It's already done. For the Christian, you were raised with Christ. You might be listening to me today, hearing me read the words, Christ, who is your life, thinking you're not sure if you've ever experienced that sort of life. Raised in Christ is a phrase that describes leaving the old life, trapped in sin, and receiving a new life from Jesus. This is what happens to a person when they become a Christian. One of the most powerful images of dying to your old self, leaving that old life and receiving new life for the early church was baptism. It's an image we still use today. Every uh, believer goes through baptism. Uh, Christians uh, have seen in the act of baptism this picture of death, burial, and resurrection. That is the surrender of our old self, which is burial into the water going underneath, and then resurrection as we come up out of the water. Thus the phrase, raised with Christ. You were raised with Christ. This phrase speaks about the past. You are no longer your old self. You are now new. It's done. Do not let your old self rule. As we often do, we let our old selves continue to rule the new life. And don't let the memory of your old self rule over your new life. I have met many a Christian who is haunted by their past. Do not let the memory of your past take your focus off who Jesus says you are now. 
you are to know that Jesus' work is complete. And if you are a Christian, you are a new creation in him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. It's the past now. You are now raised with Christ. The second dimension that's mentioned is the present, that we are hidden with Christ. And this brings me great comfort. If you are a Christian, you are hidden with Christ. Now, you might wonder, what does that mean? I can certainly see myself, another Christian, so I'm not hidden in a visual way. The sense here is of being protected and secured. The Christian is protected. Now, I'm not so foolish as to say the Christian is immune to hurt or sickness or struggle or even physical death. But when you and I understand that we are hidden in Christ, we are to understand that it is by Jesus alone that we have victory, by Christ alone that we have life. And life in this world is risky, yes, but in Christ we are secure and untouchable. Anything that happens here cannot touch our eternity. And that sort of hiddenness, security, protection should change how we live right now. There's a story about the Golden Gate Bridge. During the initial construction of the Golden Gate Bridge, no safety devices were used. Wow, can you picture that for a moment? And 23 workers fell to their death. For the final part of the project, however, a large net was used as a safety precaution. At least 10 men fell into it and were saved from certain death. Even more interesting, however, is the fact that, well, they worked 25% faster after the net was installed. Why? Because the men had the assurance of their safety. They were free to wholeheartedly serve the project. Was it still risky? Absolutely. But they knew they were secure. And we are hidden in Christ. So yeah, there's going to be risk in life, but we know that victory is assured for the Christian. Romans chapter 8 Verses 38 through 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, when we follow Jesus, when we become a Christian, we are ultimately untouchable. We need to remember that. Knowing that right now we are hidden in Christ, that frees us to put our hearts and minds on the things of heaven, the things above. The last tense of our dimension of who we are in Christ is a future, that we will glory with Christ. That's to come. When Christ appears, we're told, we shall appear with him in glory. And there's much about the future we don't know. But the Christian has the assurance of heaven and being made new. There is glory there. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're being told we look forward to glory, not shame. We look forward to victory, not defeat. We have the promise of a wonderful future, and the future promises the full, visible demonstration of what has been accomplished by Jesus. Remembering these dimensions, remembering these, are meant to motivate us, 
to keep you and your heart and mind focused on the things above. They tell each of us who we really are in Christ, even though the world wants to say otherwise, even though our memories want to say otherwise. So Paul is telling us to be who we really are by remembering who we are in Jesus, raised, hidden, and promised glory. But he also wants us to remember, because I remember said the first thing about this text is it tells us who we are in Christ, raised, hidden, and promised glory. But he also wants us to remember the second thing, that Jesus is our life. We are to know who we are in Christ, but we are to then be reminded that Christ is our life. William Barclay notes that this phrase, this particular verse, um, can sometimes be translated in a little bit shorter form that says, Christ our life. And I think the simpler is better. I like it. Christ is life. He is our all. He is our first and our last. He is our life. Christ, our life. But it is easy to forget that Jesus is your life and my life. You're all. We can see this a few different ways, but there are two common struggles we have in letting Christ be our life. Because you know what? We let other things be our life. And the first one is this. Sometimes we say, yeah, Jesus, you're my life, but we give him just authority over part of our life. And I like what Frank Viola writes. He gives us a picture of what we sometimes mistakenly do. He writes, ever since I became a Christian, I've met countless believers who treated their lives like the U.S. government treats its various departments. In the U.S. government, there's a Department of Education, a Department of Homeland Security, a Department of Agriculture, a Department of Defense, etc., In the same way, I know many Christians who compartmentalize their lives into the Department of Family and the Department of Career and the Department of Hobbies and the Department of Entertainment and the Department of Religion. And for them, Jesus is the head of the Department of Religion. And that department is separated from the other departments of their lives. And it really just shouldn't be that way. But so many of us do it. We let Jesus take charge, but just a portion of our life. Here's another way to look at it. On August 20th and September 5th of 1977, two spacecraft named Voyager were launched. Eventually, leaving the solar system and heading into deep space, they represented a revolutionary and promising breakthrough in scientific discovery about our universe. Carl Sagan was given the task of overseeing a committee that determined the content of a record that was placed on these two craft. It's a record describing human life. Their job was to comb through all of recorded human history and identify what best defines our collective life. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to live? Not just surviving, but also thriving. How would we communicate to the universe what it is, uh, that what this is, what life on earth is all about? And Sagan and his team came up with a record. They settled on 115 photographs of our planet, including women in a supermarket and page six from Isaac Newton's system of the world, a father and a daughter, a gymnast on a balance beam, and a series of photos of nature, geography, and science. And then they put in a golden record, a musical record, that also included 90 minutes of recordings of the world's greatest music, including Bach's Prelude uh, and Fugue and Sea and 
uh, from book two of The Well-Tempered Clavier and Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good. Other sounds were included on the record as well, including an infant's cries and its mother's soothing words and nearly 60 human languages and a song from a whale and greetings from the Secretary General of the United Nations and the President of the United States. But if you were given the task to illustrate human civilization in a limited collection, what would you put in? And if you were given the task of creating a 90-minute recording of your life, what would the key moments be? The memories, the accomplishments. What would you want recorded on the golden record of your life? And I guess what I'm getting at is how much of it would include Jesus and how much of it would be something else. Hopefully, if your life is in Christ. If Christ is your life, he is woven through every dimension of your life. So the first struggle we face is sometimes we only give a portion of our life to Jesus. The second is similar. Sometimes we say we belong to Jesus, but we really belong to something else. Ever hear phrases like these? Ah, so-and-so, oh, they're a great guy. They live for work or my family is my life, or sports are my life. Paul is telling us, the Apostle Paul, that of all that defines us and fills us, Christ is our life, and we are never to forget that. In his book, The Magnificent Story, James Bryan Smith shares this short little anecdote anecdote from the world of bumper stickers. While funny, it also brings up the commonplace idolatry that exists in modern life. He writes, I once saw a bumper sticker that said, Fishing is my life. My first thought was, That guy can do better. But my second thought was, Sounds a little like idolatry. A better bumper sticker would read, Fishing. Thank you, Lord. <sighs> yeah, what is your life? Can you say it's Christ? If you take an honest look at where you want to be, where you spend your time, where your thoughts are all the time, is your life something else? Go ahead and enjoy the sports, the recreation, family, the career, but see them as gifts from God, not your life itself. The Apostle Paul tells us about his life. He writes about it in Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says this, Should anyone knock at my heart and say, Who lives here? I should reply, Not Martin Luther, but the Lord Jesus Christ. So be who you are. But even more than that, I want you to be the best version of yourself. And that version can only be found in Jesus Christ. So fix your eyes upon Jesus. Fix your eyes on what Jesus has done for you and that you are hidden with him and that you will be glorified with him and let Christ be your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, whose only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, ascended into heaven, may our hearts and minds also there ascend and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you and, your, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. 
Let us live a life undivided and completely surrendered to Jesus so that we may be able to proclaim with confidence, Christ is our life. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. Go with Jesus.